Please be advised that this episode may contain strong language and spoilers. Hello and welcome to What the Forks, a podcast in which we revisit a teenage obsession, Stephanie Meyer's Twilight Saga. We're still finding out if our love for this saga will shine eternal or crumble to ash under close inspection. I'm Isaac. And I'm Chloe, and in this episode, we're talking about chapter 15 of the novel Life and Death, Twilight Reimagined. Hello! It's good to see you again. Good to see you, good to see you. Across these internet... Waves. Wave? I was going to say waves. Are they yeah. waves? Is that how the internet travels to us? Is, is it more like beams now? Do you love a good beam? Electromagnetic mm. science. Science that we were never good at. <laughs> <laughs> Best thing about this week, Lady Gaga's new album came out. Woo! important stuff let's get out of the way what's the best track on chromatica oh that's a tough question i really love the elton john one sign from above yeah i love that sign spelt s-i-n-e do we know why well it's a different universe isn't it oh i see okay yeah cool i love that i love the little uh, musical interludes as well chromatica one two three I love Chromatica 2 going into 911. Oh, it's so good. That is something you feel bodily. (laughs) You know what is my new quarantine pet peeve? So you've got Chromatica 1 into Alice. Yeah, I love Alice. Into Stupid Love, into Rain On Me. Like, what a trilogy of beauty. I will have got through Chromatica 1, be all pumped up from Alice, and I'll be getting into Stupid Love. And at that point, on the dog walk when I'm listening to it, I will start to pass a row of elderly people, some of them with dogs, walking through the same field, and we have to do like the dodge, but then I have to click my earphones down so that I can hear them in case they say anything about like, good morning or some crap. Like, oh, that's a young dog. Yeah, so he's 10 months moving along. And then I have to go back and I don't just want to restart Stupid Love. I want to hear the progression from Alice to Stupid Love to Rain On Me. And I want it uninterrupted by your morning. Can you not just keep it in and go, good morning, he's 10 months. Thank you. Oh, okay, shall we crack on? Yeah. Hopefully we'll get through this one quickly and everyone can get on with their day. (laughs) Chapter 15, The Cullens. We begin on Sunday the 20th of March 2005. Beau wakes up to find that Edith is still with him in his bedroom. Over breakfast, Edith suggests that they go to her house so that Beau can meet her family. Beau is nervous, but agrees. At the Cullens' mansion, Beau is reintroduced to Dr. Cullen and formally meets Ernest, Archie, and Jessamine. Royal and Eleanor are absent because Royal cannot accept that Beau has been allowed to know about them. Edith tells Beau that Royal is jealous because he wishes he had lived a human life. Edith and Corrine share a telepathic moment, which Edith later reveals was the news that some non-veggie vampires will soon be in the area. Beau asks if they should maybe do something about that, and Edith is like, nah. Ernest encourages Edith to play the piano, so she plays a song that she composed while watching Beau sleep, and this is acceptable to everyone. Edith then begins to give Beau a tour of the house as they talk about her family. Beau learns that Corrine was born in London in the 1640s and was the daughter of a preacher-cum-vampire hunter. When the Reverend Cullen failed to destroy a coven of vampires he had discovered, one vampire followed him home and forced him to watch his only daughter transformed into the thing he hated most. The vampire then killed Corrine's father in front of her and abandoned her to face her new vampirism alone. 
At this point, Edith pauses the story because the chapter has come to an end. (laughs) So, that's chapter 15 of this blessed novel. What did you think of this chapter? (laughs) (laughs) We'll we'll feel our way as we go along. Yeah. I mean, it's shit, but I'm like, is it the shittest so far? No. I don't think so. And for that, it must be praised. My first note is that what he does when he wakes up and sees her is he goes over to her and he says, there was no surprise in her face when I sank to my knees in front of her. (laughs) They're just such a weird couple. Now that we can call them a couple, I think we can start to really picture them as a unit. And it's strange. Yeah. I feel that we probably have all known couples like this, though. That's true. There's always a couple that, like, creeps you out a little bit. Yeah, where it's a little bit like, oh, this is just too much. Yeah. Don't come anywhere near me. My first note is about Bo getting all shy in his towel. So Bo has a shower. Great. Good for you. After all that intense sleeping. I don't know whether this is going to be of any interest, but it's something that I noticed last chapter when comparing it to Twilight. Bella is a night showerer and Bo is a morning showerer. Oh, interesting. And I feel like those are two very distinct types of people and it's interesting that we flipped it. They are because so i am a morning shower normally in the normal world however during lockdown it's gone through swings and roundabouts oh interesting whereas i have stuck very firmly to my morning shower routine i've always been a morning showerer i just think like i mean we've all had a night shower because maybe we've needed one but i just think you shower you go to bed you wake up and you don't shower how are you feeling refreshed How are you ready for the day? Are you still clean? My friend Tina is a nighttime showerer. She's wrong. But her argument is she thinks of her bed very much as a clean space and she wants to be clean going to bed. And then when she gets up in the morning, she's just been lying there asleep. She's happy to then get up and get on with her day. I think my hands get clammy at night. I think my everything gets clammy at night. (laughs) Especially in this heat. So yeah, so Bo is taking his morning shower, getting all shy in his towel when he realises he hasn't taken his clothes with him to the bathroom. Rookie mistake. And Edith is like, do you want me to meet you downstairs? And she zooms past him to go downstairs. And I'm like, mistake. She should have ripped that towel from him. Because of course she's had every opportunity to have a peek already. Yeah. I don't know if we talked about it in the last episode, but with Bo like slamming the bathroom door so that Charlie knows that the bathroom's occupied I suspect that that bathroom doesn't actually have a lock and Edith with her super slinkiness could absolutely have been watching him shower probably for weeks wow to be fair though we all need to know if it's adequate oh my because if it's not there's no point in watching them sleep anymore I don't think it's necessarily about his physical form but I think she would have been put off seeing how many times in a row he cleans his teeth He did this in the last chapter, cleaned his teeth multiple times, and it just, it begs the question, why not just do it once, properly? (laughs) I think it's just to show that he's nervous, he thinks he's going to kiss her, and he just wants to be minty fresh. Fine, but he's going to have no enamel left. (laughs) His poor teeth, his poor gums. It'll be red raw. So, yeah, Edith didn't take an opportunity there, and I think that's sad. Boom! I've got your towel! Run to your little bedroom! Oh, and then did that thing where you spin the towel and smack him with it. Whip him with the towel! 
Anyway, so they go downstairs when Bo is fully dressed and the L word is said. And the minute it's said, Edith is like, okay, it's time for you to meet my parents. <laughs> Can you imagine going, okay, like it's the first time you're saying it to someone that you're with and you're like, I love you. And they're like, you've got to meet my mum. <laughs> it does feel quite soon. I mean, on the one hand, I'm thrilled that maybe the plot is going to start to move forward. But on the other, it does feel quite soon for this relationship. Yeah. But then maybe not. Like, he already goes to school with all the siblings. It's really only Ernest that he's not seen properly yet. It's a bit full on to have a full night of, like, declaration and, like, yeah, we're together now. And then come meet all my vampire family. Don't worry, they won't harm you! Maybe. But, like I said, I'm just starting to really feel like normal judgment just completely fails on these two as a couple. Yeah, that's true. Completely goes out the window. She has just said to him, you are my life now. (laughs) They've not known each other that long. After breakfast, Bo says, I'll always want you. I'm talking about forever here. He's 17 and he's known her for, like, properly been getting to know her for a couple of weeks. He's known her for about three months. So Bo agrees to meet the Cullens because he doesn't want to appear shady. Oh, the shade of it all. He's concerned about he's, he might not be dressed right for meeting the family. He says, shall I change? And she says, never change, Bo. And I say, maybe change a little bit, Bo. <laughs> There's always room for change. And then he faints. He faints when Edith kisses him because he's like, be careful, don't breathe, basically. And I'm like, no, that's not... No, being careful is don't attack her. Just don't move your arms. But also, what's the point of Bo faint? Like, what is this doing to the story? It's nothing. Well, it's because Bella did. (laughs) Have you ever been so attracted to someone that you physically fainted? I never like the people I'm with, so no. (laughs) I once passed out... But I was in the bath, so I think the water was just too hot. Alone or? No. Oh my. I don't think I know this. (laughs) You might not know this. (laughs) But I think that was just a case of the water being too hot and then standing up too quickly. I do sometimes feel quite lightheaded after a bubble bath. (laughs) Don't worry, darling, it's not you, it's the water. (laughs) I don't think that it was that my breath was literally taken away. No offence to that person. So then, he I mean, he recovers. She drives him to the mansion. Everything is white. The house is white. The interior is white. I think it's intended to be a twist on the expected. Everything about this, I mean, they comment on it. No skulls piled in the corner. They don't even have cobwebs. But when you have too much white things, it becomes very clinical. Yeah, especially not if everything is super clean as well and doesn't feel very lived in. There's a weird platform. The piano is up on a platform. (laughs) So Edith can perform. (laughs) So we meet the parents. The only thing that I thought was notable as a difference is Ernest seemed about the same age as Dr. Cullen, maybe a few years older. (laughs) Because he's a man. Exactly. Archie comes down. He Does he come down? No, he doesn't. The description I've got here is that (laughs) Archie streaked down the stairs, just a blur of pale skin. Woo! 
were naked, Archie. That is a bold way to meet your sister's new boyfriend, but I applaud it. (laughs) Yeah. And whilst he's naked, he pulls Bo into a one-armed bro hug, thumping him lightly on the back with his penis. What the fuck is a bro hug? I was just going to say, do we need to say anything about so a bro hug? stupid. It's in the same <sighs> camp as man code. Yeah. Like, what really annoys me as well is that everyone likes Bo instantly. What is there to like? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, what isn't there to like? He's literally not done anything. He is shaking the hands saying, you've got a beautiful home. Thanks for having me. Oh, he's a gem. He is an angel. I love him. That is almost all a guy would have to do to impress my parents. <laughs> That's very true. Whereas my mother will never be impressed. So That's true. Yeah. So maybe that's just the difference between me and you. You mm. expect there to be seven trials before your parents <laughs> will approve of your prospective yeah. partner. Whereas for me, it was like, do you remember when he opened the door? <laughs> what an angel. What a gem. To be fair though, Bo does say, I haven't done anything. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, thank you, Bo, exactly. But I think the point there is, is that they all like him, not for him. Maybe with the exception of Archie, no one actually likes Bo because of who he is. They like him because of the effect he's had on Edith. And this was all present in Twilight because, well, through the Twilight saga anyway, it became very clear that this whole family had been held prisoner by Edward's depression (laughs) for decades. And that no one was allowed to have fun because he was suffering. When you see these responses to Bo as being the responses of people who have been emotionally abused for decades, (laughs) it all makes sense a little bit more. Yeah. So then we get the explanation when Bo is sat with Edith about what was telepathically said between Corinne and Edith. And it's the visitors arriving... Karina's going to ask them to hunt not within forks. But that is all that is going to be done. Because they got to hunt somewhere. Because that's what happens when you live with monsters. It's a very defeatist kind of attitude. Yeah. Edith's whole response to Bo suggesting that should we do something? Is there a way to warn people? And Edith basically tells him no and we move on. She says... We can't do more for a variety of reasons. (laughs) Now that is where I would go, okay, what reasons? Tell me the reasons. I don't know, are we hinting at the Volturi here? I think so. It's still not right. No reason that I can think of is good enough to not do something. And that line, that's just how things are when you live in a world with monsters. Those aren't the words of a good guy. No. They should be superheroes. I think we've already talked about and talking about this book. The Spider-Man thing. With great power comes great responsibility. It's, uh, you know, old, old trope by now. But there's a reason for that. And it's because it works. If bad things happen and you have the power to stop it and you choose not to, you are the villain. And I think when we talked about Eclipse, I compared them to climate change deniers. Yeah. (laughs) These people who are like, this is awful. I don't want to see bad things happen anywhere near me. Yeah. And now in the current situation, I think there are plenty of other comparisons we could draw. Who are the kinds of people who don't want to see their back garden get trashed? 
but are happy for the rest of the world to burn, or are happy to remain willfully ignorant or distant from our racist society, our institutional corruption. And obviously, you know, we're taking a lot from the world as it is now and projecting it onto that text, but it's there. But you have to, you have to when it makes it relevant for the time. You That's what you do when you read things. And this is back in 2005. So you're like, yeah, with this attitude, no wonder we got to here in 2020. Exactly. Because if these are supposed to be the goodest good guys we get in these books. But to go on a happier note, if I may... What made me happy is that Corrine's cross that she swam with all the way from England lives on. It's kind of the only part of that story that really stays so far for this chapter. (laughs) But it's there. But what is interesting is I feel like we get much more detail in Corrine's story than we do in Carlisle's. We do, but it's more interesting. It is more interesting. I loved this. I love this. This is what I've been wanting. Gore, I want gothic, I want sunk drama. I would love to know more about this vampire that turned Kareen. I mean, how awful. So he turns Kareen in front of her father and then as she is changing, he slowly tortures and kills him and makes her watch and then goes, see ya. So yeah, no, I liked the story. Very intense. It's just a shame that it doesn't finish. Bo literally says, what happens next? And Edith's like, come on then, I'll show you end of chapter and it's nice to have a shorter chapter but it's uh, i feel like we wasted a lot of time so we'll have to see what else happens in kareen's story next time yeah i wonder what the chapter will be called (laughs) what is your favorite bit of this chapter uh the wooden cross making it to the gender reversed version Okay, just the presence of that cross. Yeah, it just has... I have very fond memories of us laughing a lot about Carlisle swimming with this cross. So I was very happy. And what about your least favourite bit? Oh, I'm torn. So my worst points, if you'll allow me, Bo fainting is ridiculous. Yeah. But also how quickly everybody liked Bo. You know, it's just not realistic. He's not that likable. No, it's so so quick, and it. Why make it easy for Bo? He doesn't deserve it. So tell me your worst bit first. My worst bit is that Edith's siblings took bets on Bo's life. Oh yeah, we didn't mention that, did we? We yeah, did. And then she says, "Would you like to know who bet what?" Which is yes. awful. No, why would I want to know that? And he said. Tell me after I meet them. He wants to meet them unbiased first. That's gross. And again, these are supposed to be our good guys. And then my best bit is the evil vampire changing Kareen in order to punish her father. I thought was really good. So two awful things. Basically, when I thought about it, I just like my villains to be clear and my heroes to be clear. Yes! And I don't mean to oversimplify it. I don't need everyone to be the goodest good and the baddest bad. Yeah. I love it when we've got complex villains and vulnerable heroes. And in a way, we've got this perfect thing where everything in Edith's body is telling her to do the wrong thing, but she is fighting to do the right thing. That makes a great character. That is a great conflict. What we need then is for all of her intentions to be super pure. But when we muddy that with 
her not bothering to want to do more to save human life. Even if then we get the description of, well, it's difficult because of the Volturi. I've said this before, the aim of this saga should be to topple the Volturi. This saga should end with the Cullen clan becoming the new ruling family of the vampires and instating a peaceful, more humane rule. Meanwhile, when we've got this vampire who does something so perfectly evil and so brutal, love it because it's clear and it's creative and it's dark. I've got no problem with that. And it shows that Stephanie Meyer can go there, so fucking go there. Exactly. But both our villains and our heroes should still clearly fall into those categories. The people who we are proud to root for and the people we are proud to fight against. My question is about your favourite part, that cross. Yeah. I had to go back and look to just check. But in Twilight, that was described as a large cross. Yes. Now, we took that to mean, I think, quite large, because we then imagined Carlisle swimming the channel with a massive wooden cross. (laughs) We don't get that description here. It's not called large. And so I'm just wondering, in life and death, how big is that cross? Is it still big, (laughs) just because Bo didn't say that it was large? I really hope so. I want it to be the exact same cross. It shouldn't be daintier. It shouldn't be pointier. It should be big, broad, wooden. Yeah, just massive. I want it to be so big. So we're thinking like full-sized crucifixion Yeah, 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 yeah. Related question, but not important. Probably won't stay in the podcast. But in this world (laughs) of life and death where everything's swapped, um, is Jesus still a man? Absolutely not. Mary is now Moses. Moses gave birth to Jessica. <laughs> Are you saying that in life and death, Jessica Stanley was the Messiah? Yeah. God bless. God bless. Thank you for joining us for chapter 15 of Life and Death. Join us next time for chapter 16, Kareem. You can find us on social media by searching at ForksCast. And you can rate, review and subscribe to What the Forks wherever you listen. Until next time, take care and keep social distancing. And remember, you are my life now.